Hello, my name is Anna, and if you're into scary stories and creepy real-life happenings, then I think you will love my podcast. Let me tell you a scary story. Join me every week as I read to you stories of the paranormal that actually happen to ordinary people. These are things that can't be explained and don't always make much sense, and they are sure to intrigue and to give you the shivers. So join me on your favourite podcast listening platform and let me tell you a scary story. homegrown. Join us as we take a drive down dusty back roads and discover the obscure and dark history of this country, human and otherwise, that lurk in your backyard. We start off with some weird Wyoming facts. James brings us a story about a cop who likes his coffee with a little penis. <laughs> and finally, we discuss the abduction of Carl Higdon. I'm your host, Chris, and joining me once again in studio, my boy, James. What's up, man? Man, I, two in a row. Two in a row. Here we is. Season finale. This man, is it. That's right. That's right. It is the this season is finale. It. We are that's right. done. Yes, it is episode 51. We get it. But yes, because of Missouri being a two-parter, we went one over. Big deal. Sue us. Who cares? We started this in January this year, right? I think we did. Was it this year? No, no, it wasn't. It was last no. year. That's right. Because Shit. we've been going a long time. Yeah, because we started we started in studio before COVID. So it took us over a year. 52 51 episodes, which should have been one year, because yeah. two weeks in a year, it took us a year and a half to do them because, well, and one, that's because if we can crank one out, but yeah. True. One, because of COVID, two, because I've had a kid, and uh, three, because we were still trying to figure out this whole um, distance online streaming thing, too. So, yeah. Yeah. Hey, you know, life happens, man, but we got through it. We did. Season it's, one. It Woo! has been a blast. And like I said, Under after rats, this, baby. we'll be taking a... Taking a little while off, and we'll probably get some other episodes prepared. Probably have a little. We're gonna have a little bit newer format next season. We'll talk about that when we get there. Yeah, but uh, but I want to say I do want to say that we're gonna be taking a break for what the suck what the suck. We're gonna be taking a break from State of Fear, but our Patreon will still be going. Yes, it will. We have a few um, ideas that we're gonna be working on, and we're gonna be posting some extra content on our Patreon. By the way, patreon.com backslash State of Fear. Um, so if you want to check out the extra content, um, in between seasons, please go check it out. We have three tiers, one, five, and 10. Um, so they're super affordable. 
and your support is greatly appreciated. Uh, we also have a YouTube. Go check it out. Uh, YouTube State of Fear podcast. Uh, all of our episodes are on there. I think a couple of extra stuffs on there as well. Yep. So go check it out. It's really going. And of course, we're you know we're at anywhere you can find a podcast, and we are also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Yes, we are. So go check us out there. Interact with us there. Uh, and I think we also need, we still need reviews, right? We also need reviews. Definitely need reviews. Uh, especially on YouTube. If you can subscribe, you don't have to hit that notification bell because I hate when people say that. Yeah. If you want to be notified, that is your business. But if you could subscribe, that helps us. If you could like the episodes, it would help us. And even comments, interaction and stuff like that is great. We love it. We've had a few comments. Like I said, this is our first season. We're still growing. But the interaction is constantly growing. Our following is growing. Uh, and I'm loving the comments that we get on YouTube. Yes. They're awesome. I appreciate people commenting on people our People that have actually experienced or seen or even knew people we've talked about or situations we've talked about. Yeah, that's pretty cool. So it is pretty awesome. Yeah, it is. Uh, I, I'm excited for that. But yeah, uh, thanks again for everybody for your support over this past year and a half. Uh, we look forward to season two. We've got some new things coming, some fun things. So uh, just uh, you know, keep an eye out for those. And hopefully we'll have no massive pandemic. Screw it up. Hopefully. Hopefully we can stay in studio for the rest of next, or for the entire of season two. That would be nice. <laughs> yes, it would. But we, what a doozy we have to go on out on this uh, today. We're discussing the abduction of Carl Higdon. By all accounts, the 41-year-old oil well driller, husband and father of four, Carl Higdon was not a man prone to flights of fancy, but on the crisp autumn afternoon of October 25th, 1974, he had a close encounter with a bizarre being who would not only test the limits of his imagination, but quite literally take him on the ride of his life. Sounds awesome. Yeah, it's quite a long story, so I'm looking forward to get into it. But uh, <laughs> before we do that, let's go and get into some weird Wyoming facts, shall we? Indeed we shall. So, <clears throat> Charles Schwab, Schwab. Charles Schwab, Tiger Woods, and Dick Cheney are among the famous folks who own prime property in Jackson, Wyoming. Jackson Ranch owner Harrison Ford, however, is by far Wyoming's most valuable celebrity asset. He uses his helicopter in several search and rescue missions, in one case picking up a stranded climber in the Teton Range and returning her to safety. Nice. Indy's always saving the day. Way to go, Indy. Wyoming stood in for the cold and desolate Soviet Union in Rocky IV, a.k.a. the one where Rocky single-handedly wins the Cold War. <laughs> yes. Hey, yo, Rocco! <laughs> Way to go, Sly! That's right. The farm where Rocky trained is located in Jackson Hole, and outside shots and sequences were taken at Grand Teton National Park. Very cool. A very, very beautiful park, I made add. Oh, it was gorgeous in the movie. It was oh, fantastic. Yeah. And it looks just as good in person. Nice. If not better. If you're in Newcastle, Wyoming, and suddenly feel the urge to have sex with a store's walk-in meat freezer, for goodness sakes, don't do it. There is a strict ordinance against the act. Ice cold. That's, uh, oh man. (laughs) I I love weird laws like that. Yeah. (laughs) In 1906, President Teddy Roosevelt made Devil's Tower in Crook County the country's first ever national monument. I have been there. I have walked around it. I love the movie Close Encounters, mm-hmm. and it is my father's headstone. I made it officially his headstone. Me and him loved that movie so much yeah. and watched it together. I took part of his ashes, and they're scattered at the base of Devil's Tower. So Very I cool. told, I promised him, 
uh, after he died, of course, I said, well, I said, you need a nice headstone. So I decided Devil's Tower was the way to go. So, Very cool. So his ashes are there at the tower, huh? They are indeed. Some of them. Oh, okay. He's he's all over the place. He doesn't like to be in one place. He's a, he's one of the movers and shakers. You can't, you can't hold him down, man. A, a Rolling Stone guy. Nope. There's no moss. All right, let's get into some famous uh, Wyomians. Wyomians? Whatever. Anyway, go on. Wyomans. Wyomans. There you go. We have Larry Wilcox. If anybody remembers Ponch and John of the TV show Chips, he was John, the yep. blonde boy. Yep. And then we have Jim Beaver of the show Supernatural. And where were they born? Well, Larry was born in Rollins, and Jim Beaver was born in Laramie. Laramie. Guess uh, that would help, huh? That would help, yeah. And then we have <laughs> <laughs> Jackson Pollock, the famous painter, was born in Cody. And Jesse Garcia from the show Sons of Anarchy and the TV version of From Dust Till Dawn was born in Rollins. Nice. All right, man. Well, let's get into today's uh, weird news of the day, shall we? Oh, man. This is a good one. Way to go out. Even begin. Well, as penis. <laughs> <laughs> well, Metro.uk has struck again. It is my favorite weird news site by far. It has some of the craziest stories. Has not let you down yet. No, it has not. And today is no exception. The story was written by C.N. Elvin on Wednesday, 19 May of 2021, and the story is called "Cop Facing Sack," which. In England means firing. After but it saying, means firing here too, but it also means nutsack. But go on. <laughs> Literally. Cop facing sack after saying he stirred colleagues tea with his genitalia. You gotta love it. Oh, man. This, all right, let's get into this. Let's get... Ah, look at that. Having a cocky attitude. I get it. Okay, go on. <clears throat> a police officer could lose his job today after he told a female PCSO... He stirred her tea with his penis. Uh, Tenis? What a guy. PC, I guess it says... PC is a police constable. Police constable. Okay, thank you, sir. You're welcome. That's my damn story, and I needed you to tell me what the (laughs) fuck that meant. I watch a lot of uh, Doctor Who and Sherlock. Oh, that's right. That's right. PC Stephen Green claimed he was, quote, having a bit of a laugh and that he had misjudged his friendship with his victim but was found guilty of nine charges in front of a disciplinary panel. Nine? What is that, a a charge per inch? Holy hell. I don't know. Between May and July 2020, he made sexual comments toward the woman, identified only as PCSOA, and licked his lips while gyrating his hips in the canteen. What in the actual hell is that sentence? I don't (laughs) know. Good Lord. Anyway, go on. PC Green watched her changing in the female locker room. Now, that's bad. That's that's very bad, yeah. That's an asshole right there. And had given her a shoulder massage without her permission. All around creepy guy. Yeah. A second PCSO described him as having a cocky attitude and behaving as though he owned the police. I see what you did there. But um, don't... 
Another witness said PC Green told the female officer, I'm a PC. You're a PCSO. If I say bend over the table, you just do it. Wow. Okay, see, now this is weird news, but it's turn, starting to piss me off because I turned guys to, uh, like this. It's turning to law and order news. Yeah, it is. On another occasion, PC Green had taken a picture of the junior officer from her Instagram account and had it printed on a cup for her as a gift, which read, brilliant but not perfect. <laughs> what a dick. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, no shit. PCSOA, in other words, the subject of our story, returned the gift with a note saying, thank you for the gift, but no thank you. A.K.A. fuck off. I'd have thrown it at him. He even head Hell with yeah. it. Hell yeah. PCSOA said, quote, I would have liked to use the mug as a gateway to tell him to back off, but I wasn't given that chance. I feel it could have been resolved. When asked to clarify the incident in the locker room, another witness, PCSOB, said the door wasn't knocked. It was forcefully opened. I heard PC Green say, are you decent? No, he's in, the sh- he's in the shower room. Of course not. PCSOA jumped. It made me jump. I looked toward the door and saw it was closing. Oh, shit. Orwell mm. Jones. I like that. Orwell Jones. That's a good name. Makes me want to change my accent now. Orwell Jones. Jones chaired the panel of Sussex Police Headquarters. <laughs> this is not how anybody should be made to feel when they come to work. The breach amounts to gross misconduct, you think? Oh, yeah, easily. PC Green denies most charges, but admits that he pushed the door to the locker room. He says he was trying to make friends with the PCSOA, as he was not friendly with his own team, who often made fun of him. Mm. Oh, I'm pretty sure he's the reason that the outcome will be decided today. Oh no, no update. So no update. So maybe next season we'll uh, do a quick update if we find out anything. But yeah. that's the story, man. So that is the story. We don't get to know if he gets the sack. We mm-hmm. don't have any idea. I mean, he's he's totally a dick, but we don't know if he gets the sack yet. Well, it's so. fairly recent, so it had to have happened within the last few days, so who knows. I'm sure he got the sack. He's he's a complete dickhead, so. <laughs> and I mean that in all all shapes and forms of that verse. So, yeah. Man, what a what a what a terrible terrible guy. Yep. Kind of uh, a, I thought what what I thought would sound, you know, start off funny turned out to be kind of a uh, <laughs> yeah what a way to end on this season way to go james <laughs> yep oh man all right well let's go ahead and get into the story shall we yes sir began like any other. Higdon woke and was getting ready for his second shift at the AM Wells service company in Riverton when his telephone rang. After working his way up through the company for the better part of 20 years, Higdon was now the foreman. Therefore, it felt to him to take the quote-unquote sick calls from his crew. He described the situation. Quote, I was all set to leave for work when one of my key men phoned to tell me that he was sick. Realizing that nothing could be accomplished with him at home, I decided to take the day off, end quote. Having committed to not going into work, Higdon decided to utilize his unexpectedly free afternoon by using it to hunt for elk. <laughs> As you do. Yeah, just go ahead. With his plan in place, the old man packed his gear from into his company pickup truck and began heading towards McCarthy Canyon into nearby Carbon County. It was then that a random act of kindness would forever change his destiny. 
While cruising towards McCarthy Canyon, Higdon spied a pair of stranded motorists working on their immobile van. The Good Samaritan pulled over and helped them repair their vehicle. During the course of their conversation, the duo revealed that they were also hunters and they knew of a place where there was much more game than Higdon's current destination. Quote, I pulled in front of them and helped them out. During our chat, they told me the hunting was better much further back in a remote section of the Medicine Bow National Forest, end quote. Higdon thanked his fellow hunters and without delay decided to change his course and began driving towards the northern region of Medicine Bow National Park, which is just 40 miles south of his home in Rawlings. He arrived at the park in the late afternoon and once he was there, he bumped into an old friend. Around four o'clock, I parked my two-wheel drive on a knoll and pulled out my thermos to pour a cup of coffee. An old friend, Gary Eaton, walked over to where I had stopped and together we surveyed the area. After a few minutes, Gary told me he was going up higher into the forest. Jokingly, he suggested he might scare down some elk for me. Higdon and his friend then separated, at which point the hunter pulled out his brand new Magnum rifle and loaded it with powerful 7mm bullets. No more bullets? No more bullets. Higdon decided to explore an area that was concealed behind a hill and set off, never imagining what would happen next. He walked for a few minutes and then out of the corner of his eye, he caught a flash of movement. It was exactly what he was there for, a small herd of elk. He silently raised his rifle, put his eye to the side and took aim at the largest male. He said, quote, I walked maybe five minutes until I came to a rise in the ground. Down below in a clearing were five elk huddled closely together. From my vantage point, several hundred yards away, I could see that one of them was a really outstanding animal. I lined him up in my telescopic sight and fired my gun a magnum rifle. It can give your shoulder a mean whack if you're not careful. It would be at this exact moment when his world would take a decidedly tw twisted turn into the bizarre. Why did his bullet hit like a cloaked vessel and plink and fall to the ground? <laughs> Not and, quite. And Not a Klingon quite. ship appears out of nowhere. Or as soon as he pulled the trigger, he was astounded by the fact that there was no kickback from the rifle. What was even more perplexing was the fact that the detonation was absolutely silent. In fact, according to Higdon, it was as if the entire world had fallen still. Now, if that weren't strange enough, for the first time in his life, he claimed he was actually able to watch as the bullet left the barrel of his rifle and soared forward so slowly that it looked as if it were traveling through a wall of invisible jello. Huh. He later swore that he watched the bullet glide for about 50 feet before it plummeted into the snow-speckled ground before him. Uh-huh. Yeah. He said, I couldn't believe my senses. Instead of a powerful blast, the 7mm bullet left the gun's barrel noiselessly in slow motion. It floated like a butterfly, falling finally to the ground about 50 feet from where I stood. I was awestruck. I froze. All around me, there was a painful silence. Not a chirping bird or a rustling of leaves on nearby trees could be heard. The only sensation I could detect was a tingling feeling that crawled up my spine. This was similar to the feeling you'd often get before a fierce thunderstorm when the air was full of static electricity. Still immersed in the eerie, static, charged silence. He cautiously retrieved the bullet, no more bullets, and inspected it closely. <laughs> he immediately noticed that the lead portion of the 7mm had disappeared and only the oddly mishappened case remained. He placed the bullet in his pocket and took a few perplexed steps forward. 
And that was when the deadly silence surrounding him was abruptly broken by the sound of a twig snapping. Ooh. Someone's behind him. Higdon spun around and was confronted by a sight that he instantly knew was not of this earth. Quote, turning to my left, I saw a man standing there. A man standing there. <laughs> Do like Shatner. Hell yeah. At first I thought he was just another hunter, so I lowered my gun. Then he moved out of the shadows into the light, and I immediately realized there was something terribly wrong. My heart skipped a beat, and my knees were shaking so badly I could hardly stand still. I thought, hell, I should have stayed in McCarthy Canyon like I originally planned. Yeah, dumbass. <laughs> no, nah, but I had to be Mr. Adventure and go off on my own. I'm going to bring this up real quick. That's so. when everything always bad. That's right. Happens. Yeah, You know what I mean? Never diverge from your initial plan because right. things go wrong. Damn right to do. Stupid. Standing before the trembling hunter was what appeared to be a humanoid being clad in a skin-tight black one-piece outfit that Higdon claimed was, quote, similar to a wetsuit scuba divers wear, end quote. <laughs> Man, aliens love their one-piece outfits. Yes, they do. They all wear one-piece outfits. I don't get it. Atop the suit was a pair of harness-like straps that crisscrossed its chest, below which was a metallic belt adorned with a large yellow six-pointed star. Beneath the star was an insignia that the outdoorsman could not identify. He described it, at least what he presumed it to be, masculine entity in detail. It was definitely a male. The visitor had no detectable ears. His eyes were small and lacked eyebrows. The dome of his skull was covered with the coarsest hair imaginable. It looked as if he had straw growing out of his head. His complexion was very similar to an Oriental's. He was definitely manlike in height. I'd estimate he stood well over six feet and weighed 180 pounds. There was definitely no ghost. Good Lord, he was flesh and blood. Amen. <laughs> what? <the laughs> I don't know. That's a weird prayer to recite. I you. seen him. Amen. I seen him. I seen him. Praise the Lord. <laughs> Higdon would just don't kill me. Yeah, he would go on to depict this creature's oddly upsetting facial features, including a lipless, slit-like mouth that concealed <laughs> three exceptionally large teeth. Oh, Lord. Not entirely like the notorious fanged humanoids of Kofu. On the top and bottom, a pair of antennas, and most alarmingly to Higdon, a face that blended directly into its neck. Antennas? Are you shitting me? He had antennas, man. That's oh, what it says. Man. Higdon continued his disturbing depiction of this alleged alien. Quote, personally, <laughs> it took getting used to. In order for me to look at him without getting a queasy feeling in the pit of my stomach, no chin was visible. His face seemed to blend right into his throat. He had no jawbone. End quote. I'm going to show you pictures. A couple of, of artists rendering them. I'm showing them right now. So, uh, I seen them. There's the first one. Oh, Lord. See the belt and everything. My favorite fucking Martian. There's a the second one. Oh, my God. Yeah, that's kind of creepy looking. That is. Yeah. Uh, and there's a third one. That one's not so creepy looking. It looks like a, like a kid drew this one. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Hey, friends. Welcome to Paranormal Punchers. I'm Mark. I'm Alicia. I'm Nash. I'm Dave. We are a lighthearted podcast discussing anything paranormal. From Bigfoot to the Jersey Devil. From haunted locations to demonic possessions. And from UFO sightings to alien abductions. We've been called the morning radio show of Paranormal Podcasts. Yeah, we've been described as entertaining and upbeat. Someone said we have the perfect blend of facts and humor. 
and someone once called us idiotic. So subscribe to Paranormal Punchers today on your favorite podcast app and learn more at ParanormalPunchers.com. Stranger still was the fact that this long-armed, bow-legged... Oh, it's bow-legged. Great. Let's <laughs> <laughs> keep getting better. I know. John, this skin creature, had a pointy, almost drill-like appendage sticking out of its wrist where its right hand ought to have been and nothing at all on the left. Oh, damn. That's a probe. <laughs> Get out of there. That's a probe. At That's this right. point, the being slowly approached the terrified Higdon and did something completely unexpected. Oh, hell. It asked him... How are you doing? How you doing? How you doing? <laughs> hey, how you doing? That's too bad. He's not a town. He's country, though. So he hey, hey, how you doing? How you doing, eh? The bewildered hunter admitted that he was trying to stay calm when he when he weakly responded, pretty good. At this point, the extraterrestrial, like any good host, inquired whether or not Higdon was hungry. But before he could respond, the creature sent a small, clear cellophane package floating towards him. Probably some more damn pancakes. <laughs> Yeah, space dope. <laughs> space dope. <laughs> Try take, some of this, man. Space meth. Take this Venus cocaine. You'll love it. Well, judging by the photos, probably meth addict. Yeah, he does like a meth addict. Actually, like did, a meth yeah. head. Mm-hmm. Quote, he waved the pointed object where his hand should have been, and it levitated over to me. I opened the packet and found four pills inside. He told me in English to take one of them. No, don't take no pills, fool. That it would last four days. Uh, you better call your doctor four, after four hours, yeah, no man. Sh- <laughs> <laughs> now, normally, I, <laughs> I don't like taking pills, not even an aspirin, but something happened. It's as if I had no control over my actions, so I just swallowed the, one of them and put the other three in my jacket pocket. The strange, jawless humanoid then introduced himself as Ozzo One. That, <laughs> that was when Higdon's gaze caught a strange, box-like object catching the sun's rays in the clearing behind the strange creature. There, not far from us, was a transparent cube-shaped object resting on the ground. It looked like a huge Christmas package. You know. Mother box. Oh, yeah. Oh, man. Crap. Don't go near it. (laughs) You know, flat on all sides like a box. I couldn't see any landing gear or entrance. It was much smaller than any of our commercial or military planes. In fact, you're going to think I'm crazy, but this thing couldn't have been more than five feet high, seven feet long, and four and a half feet wide. I thought he was crazy like six paragraphs ago. <laughs> Tiny is the only word I can think of to accurately describe its size. Apparently intrigued by the awe at which Higdon was staring at his ship, the alleged alien asked the hunter, quote, do you want to come along? End quote. Come with me if you want to live. Fully aware of the fact that he was in no position to refuse this request, lamely shrugged his shoulders in assent. It was at this point that the time appeared to leap forward as Higdon's next recollection was of being inside the cube-like craft. He got roofied. <laughs> Way to go, dude. Well, I mean, that's... Well, I guess... Is that how they probe you now? They roof you first? Or you don't I to... think so, yeah. So you God. don't have any, you can't You can't describe them to the police. If you're going to pro- if you're gonna probe me, please roof me first. Yeah, especially if you can use that right hand. Hell like, yeah. Before I was able to move a muscle, I found myself inside this contraption. It was instantaneous. How I was able to fit inside remains a riddle. Here comes the dumb part. They must have shrunk me. that must have shrunk me that's the only explanation that seems plausible oh man i wouldn't venture how they accomplished this feat ozzle one just pointed and we were where we wanted us to be after ozzle one loaded his earthly guests into this tiny perhaps quote-unquote tardis like box higdon's mind began to get fuzzy and he started to panic (laughs) and the drugs were taking effect (laughs) 
the word hypnol kicked in. He's having a bad trip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my memory fails me here. I recall my head starting to reel, my hands sweating. Somehow the pill this fellow gave me must have deadened at least some of my senses. Otherwise, I'm positive I would have been crying and perhaps even fainted. I may be strong, but I'm only human. <laughs> at this point, Higdon noticed that all five of the elk he had been stalking just moments before were also in the cube behind what he perceived to be an invisible barrier. Oh, it's a trap, man. It's a trap. It's a trap. The hunter marveled at the creature's ability to incapacitate the untamed animals. I'm kind of fuzzy as how they managed to contain such wild beasts. They were motionless, paralyzed. It would seem that the elk were not the only things paralyzed because at virtually the same moment he saw the frozen beasts, Higdon claimed that he became abruptly aware of the fact that he was now sitting in a high-backed bucket seat with what he described as restrictive bands securing his arms and legs. Oh, it's about to go down now. I'm about to get pro. Oh, shit. About to get real here. Here we go. All right. This is the way to, this is the way to go out on well, the season. Yeah, right let's... Uh, let's... <laughs> as we took off, I found myself strapped to the seat with my hands held fast to the armrest of the chair. My legs were similarly bound. Resisting what must have been an overwhelming urge to panic, Higdon watched in growing horror as another jawless, straw-haired being appeared out of nowhere, at which point he and his genial partner strapped a bizarre, wire-smothered, football-helmet-like device to his head, prompting Hunter to state, quote, I felt like the monster in an old Frankenstein movie. <laughs> yeah, that's weirdest oh. porno ever. Yep. <laughs> he that's did that's where I'm. Th that's where I feel this whole thing is heading. Yes, yeah. that's, that's what's bad. About <laughs> so. Higdon then observed a console with three dissimilar levers, which Ozo One used to control the craft. The alien pointed its hand at the longest lever, and seemed to move it with telepathy. It was then that the peculiar transparent cube that Higdon would later describe as a flying box car took off. <laughs> <laughs> Ozzo One manipulated the vehicle so it hovered above Higdon's truck. With a point of his conical hand, the vehicle vanished before his eyes. When we got above the trees, Ozzo aimed his arm at my pickup truck and it disappeared. Poof! Vanished into thin air. He aimed his arm, huh? So it's, it's basically, he's instead of a hand, he's got a magic wand. It seems I like. Yeah, so. he's got a magic wand permanently on his hand. Oh, Lord have mercy. As if this entire ordeal weren't already outlandish enough. Which pretty much is. Well, we got hillbilly aliens. The last episode, we had some Italian aliens. <laughs> so, yeah, we might as well cover the whole spectrum here. Now we got some date rape aliens. Yep. Higdon <laughs> <laughs> testified that just as suddenly as they left Terra Firmer, he abruptly spied an ominous planet-like sphere, similarly shaped to a basketball. Though the clear floor of the box-like craft... Oh, not though. <clears throat> through the clear floor of the box-like craft, a planet he immediately knew was not Earth. The most memorable sight that Higdon recalled was his, from his impromptu tour of this alien world was a colossal tower that loomed above the surface. He would later compare it to Seattle's Space Needle, but unlike its earthbound namesake, this huge umbrella-like structure was covered in rotating lights that were so blinding they hurt his eyes. The hunter was also overwhelmed by a sound that he compared to an electric razor buzzing. <laughs> Damn, that's annoying as hell. Yep. All around this tower were revolving patterns of multicolored lights, not unlike powerful spotlights. They were so intense that it was actually painful to keep my eyes open, he said. I'm picturing the tower from Rogue One. 
Mm. Like they're going to go in there and steal the plans. Yeah, yeah, I, I kind of picture that too. That long, you know, you know what I'm Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> These lights were so brilliant that I held my hands to my face as a protective shield. I, I vaguely remember shouting, shut them off. They're burning me. I just couldn't tolerate them. I thought he was strapped in. How did he hold his hands to his face? Good point. Good point. <laughs> At some point, I guess they let him go. I'm just fucking. No, good point. I'm, I'm picky like that. Hey, the, the, it doesn't make sense though. Rather than comforting their frightened guest, the second drill-handed humanoid merely com commented that they had similar problems on our home world, insisting that, Your son burns us too. <laughs> it was then that the odd craft later landed about 150 feet away from the platform at the base of the tower, at which point the second being vanished just as abruptly as it had arrived. Through the transparent walls of the ship, Higdon saw what he claimed to be five human beings dressed in average earth fashions talking to one another the individuals consisted of one brown-haired girl who appeared to be about 11 years old a blonde girl who was just a few years older and a teen couple who seemed to be about 17 or 18. the group was rounded out by a man who seemed to be in his 50s the people seemed to be talking to one another and did not notice higdon Ozzel one who had so cordially offered Higdon food pills and a ride around the cosmos did not explain the presence of the other humans, but patiently explained to the anxious oil man that he had touched down on a planet that was 163,000 quote-unquote light miles from Earth. Higdon was quick to elucidate that the creature did not say quote-unquote light years, which to him indicated in no uncertain terms that to them the passage of time is different than it is to us. Also one escorted Higdon into the dazzling tower. Has to be dazzling. It's a dazzling. The pair ascended into an elevator, which deposited him into a room where the hunter was instructed to stand on a small platform. <laughs> God, this, don't do don't do any of the stuff they tell you to do. Higdon noted that he and the alien never actually walked anywhere, but seemed to be floating just above the ground. While they hovered towards their destination, Ozzo One, arbitrarily or so it seemed, explained that there were no fish on this planet and that these fin critters were one of his people's favorite things about Earth. It's kind of a weird thing just to randomly just say no there's fish. no fish. Okay. Here, we're, we're going to float instead of walk. You stand on this here platform. I mean, is he making small talk? I mean, that's terrible small talk. You know, buck like a dog. There's no fish on this Hop planet. on one leg. You know, we don't have fish. <laughs> we like your fish. Bring us your tuna. <laughs> At this point, an odd device that Higdon described as resembling a glassy shield. Oh, shit. Here we go. <laughs> shit slipped out of the wall and paused in front of the human. The shield was evidently some kind of medical device and scanned the man for almost five minutes before it disappeared back into the wall. Rejection is never fun, but it's hard to contemplate that Higdon did not consider it to be a stroke of luck when his extraterrestrial tour guide informed him that he was going to return him to the spot where they had first met because the examination had shown that he did not, quote, suit their purpose. Your dick is too small. <laughs> I don't like the way you smell. <laughs> no Ogden never knew what this potentially nefarious purpose was, but he would later speculate that he thought it had to do with "quote unquote" a breeding program. Bounce, pound, bounce, pound. It had to come in there somewhere. Of course, it did. Ozzo One led the old man back to the elevator and then down to the main floor or door. Oh, oh, that's right. He is older. That's right. You don't suit our needs, man. You're shooting blanks. Yeah, you're too old. We, we're gonna put you back. We want our subjects young and vile. Or Viral, whatever. <laughs> With the same abruptness he had felt earlier, Higdon realized that he and his alien companion were now back inside the clear cubicle, this time sans elk. 
Damn, that sucks. That, man, that is some sort of rejection when they keep the elk, but they take your yeah. ass back home. Yeah. That's, Damn, that's fucked up. Alzo One was admiring the man's rifle and with a tinge of regret admitted that as much as he would like to, he would not be able to keep the primitive weapon as a souvenir. Yeah, hell no. You no. said my dick ain't no good. You yeah. can't have my rifle. And you ain't keeping my rifle. Aussie One, whatever your name is, kiss my ass. This is my rifle. This is my gun. One of the One of fun. Alzo One telepathically handed the rifle back to Higdon, then removed the food pills from his pocket, a fact that dismayed the hunter as it represented the only piece of concrete evidence he had for this weird event. How convenient. Yes. Once again, the alien pointed at the lowest lever. It was then that our intrepid hero suffered another disorienting time jump. <laughs> Higdon quickly realized he was no longer hovering above an alien world, but that his alien comrade in his miraculous cube was seemingly instantaneously transporting him back to Earth. Insert the sound of the electric football game, the old buzzer. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it was fun. Yep. He claimed that he saw his truck which had been inexplicably transported some five miles from the glade where it had been parked two and a half hours before. The hunter later considered the situation, quote, since I was in a state of mental stress, this fact did not have any impact on me until sometime later. I know that I could never have driven over that impossible terrain, even if I had been physically capable of driving, which I most certainly was not, end quote. At this point, the kindly spaceman said to the earthling, we'll see you. <laughs> The foreman was overwhelmed by a floating sensation and without warning, found himself standing on the edge of a steep, rocky slope. Damn, dicks. The loose stones could not support his weight and he suddenly found himself plummeting down the nine-foot decline, severely impacting against the hard ground and injuring his head, neck, and shoulder. What a bunch of dicks. Yeah, that'll teach you. <laughs> it's not my fault I have a small dick, but don't kill me. <laughs> Next thing the bewildered father of four consciously recalled was staggering nearly three miles down an old dirt road, rifle in hand, freezing, and in a state of nearly hysterical amnesia. I don't know what had happened, who I was, or where I was, for that matter. The only thing I could think of was to get out of there as fast as possible and find someone who could help me. Higdon was in such a state of shock that he walked past his pickup truck without realizing it. When he realized that he was utterly alone on the dirt road, he backtracked to the vehicle. There I stood, shivering, eyes filled with tears, and not knowing my own identity. I saw a truck parked off the road between some trees and decided to crawl into it for shelter and to keep it warm. I didn't realize the truck belonged to me, end quote. Huddled and trembling in shock, Higdon was startled by a feminine voice that suddenly crackled over the CB radio. Quote, there was a two-way set under the dashboard, so I picked up the mic and held it close to my mouth. I managed to blurt out that I was sick and lost and desperately in need of assistance. When the voice on the other side asked me where I was, I told him I had seen a sign. I seen it. I had That's seen it. a sign down the road, which read North Boundary National Forest. This didn't seem to help much. However, as there was absolutely no indication as to what forest the sign was referring to. <laughs> <laughs> that sucks. It says, yeah, it says sign says National Forest. Sign says trees, what? you're fucked. Exactly. <laughs> a search party led by a local sheriff and accompanied by Higdon's wife, Marjorie, had a lot of difficulty navigating the backwoods paths with their four-wheel drive vehicles and were unable to locate the panicky hunter until almost midnight. It was during this arduous trip that Higdon's wife and two other deputies claimed to have spied green, red, and white flashing lights in the sky, but they were too far away to discern its true origin. 
Yeah. They seen it. This might be where the two-wheel drive, you know, why he said, I parked my two-wheel drive. Because maybe the truck ended up in a spot that it can't reach with That's, two-wheel drives. Mm-hmm, exactly. Know, maybe they'll say it, or maybe it was just a pointless... Uh, Segment? <laughs> pointless <laughs> pointless statement. Yep. We'll see. Later, it would come out that two residents of Rawlings, Wyoming, Don and Marilyn James, claimed to have observed an unusual radiance in the vicinity of Medicine Bow Forest at the same time that the posse was making its way towards the missing hunter. Not long after... The baffled officers were astounded to find Higdon's two-wheel drive truck bumper deep in a mud-filled sinkhole in the center of a forest ravine that was impenetrable by motor vehicles. In fact, the conditions were so bad that the police were forced to make the final leg of the journey, journey by foot. Damn. Mm-hmm. Okay, see? That is coming around. Even more perplexing was the fact that there were no tire tracks leading into the bog. The sheriff and his men could not comprehend how Higdon had managed to get his pickup stuck there judging from the circumstances it would have had to have been dropped from above it seemed to defy rational logic and as if things weren't bizarre enough when they finally managed to pry the still terrified higdon from the truck he was shrieking that quote they took my elk they took him <laughs> he even failed some bitches he even failed to recognize his own wife who's this bitch <laughs> down <laughs> down Deputies quickly packed the hunter and his wife into one of their vehicles, while the rest of the police were confronted with the puzzle of how to get the seemingly impossible trapped pickup truck out of the bog. Eventually, they created a sort of bridge with fallen trees and finally managed to tow the truck from the shallow ravine and down the dirt paths that would have been proven impossible to navigate with a two-wheel drive vehicle. Thank you. There you go. Thank you. There you See, go. See, it shows I'm not a complete idiot. You, hey, you know your trucks, man. I do think. You know your trucks. I, do, I can think in advance. That's it. Higdon later described the situation, quote, Using towing equipment, I was hauled out. They immediately took me to the nearest hospital where I was placed under day and night observation. Not until the following evening did I begin to regain my memory and start to recall a few details of my ordeal, end quote. Sheriff's deputies wasted no time in transporting the frantic hunter and his wife to the Carbon County Memorial Hospital in Rawlins, where he was admitted at 2.30 a.m. The doctors on staff noticed that his eyes were extremely bloodshot and he seemed to be suffering from nervous exhaustion, not to mention the injuries he sustained during his fall into the gully. And there was evidence of anal stretching. <laughs> his, his butthole was very red. <laughs> Following an extensive series of medical tests, the doctor noticed that despite Higdon's clearly injured and anxious condition, his blood was extraordinarily nutrient and vitamin rich. Even more peculiar was the fact that in 1958, Higdon had been hospitalized after he came into contact with tuberculosis. And at the time, x-rays showed a significant amount of scarring on his lungs. Be that as it may, the x-rays that were taken following his presumably intergalactic expedition in 1974 showed no scar tissue on his lungs. And his doctor, one R.C. Tongo, even noted that some painful kidney stones, which had been plaguing the hunter, were no longer evident. Nice. Man, oh, well, they, they finally did something nice for him. Well, they had to give him something. I mean, they, Daniel killed him when they put him on the ledge, but... Yeah, you, you probe his ass, then you put stick him on, him on the, on the ledge. ledge and drop him, yeah. But at least you cured, you cleared up his lungs and his kidney stones. Yeah, you, you, you dislocated your backbone and your neck's all <laughs> fucked up. But Can't. hey, I got no kidney stones. That's right. And my, and my scarring from my TV is gone. I'm in a wheelchair now, but I ain't got no scarring. <laughs> <laughs> the mystified Dr. Tongo even stated that, quote, he's now an A1 super condition, end quote. 
Despite his new and improved organs, the still petrified oral man remained incoherent throughout the night and according to most reports, did not manage to reclaim his memories until the following day when his daughter came to visit him. It was then that he regaled his wife, doctors, and police officers with his harrowing run-in with Oso One and his unnamed co-pilot and their journey to another world. While it's difficult, new world. like man, yeah. okay, like like, like uh, doctor, can you test his blood for drugs? He's obviously on something. We're supposed to be a serious podcast. Uh, 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 just a uh, couple uh, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> While it's difficult to imagine that that his rapt audience, consisting of both loved ones and authority figures, were not at least initially skeptical, this did nothing to prevent the deputies from from informing the press and local ufologists about Higdon's wild adventure. Marjorie, however, claimed that. She never once doubted the sincerity of her husband's strange tale, later telling reporters from the Star Tribune, quote, I believed him because it was him, and because I was out there and saw a lot of different things that went on that night. Although his innards showed a marked upgrading, Higdon's appetite did not return for days. Marked? Yeah, his innards were upgraded. All yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. The fact that he attributed to also one's miraculous pills. And he grumbled about sharp pains in the base of his skull and neck, claiming that he felt as if his body had been treated like an accordion. Because he fell off a fucking cliff. <laughs> yeah, no shit. That feel? Jesus. I feel like I've been pushed together like this. <laughs> That's the way my muscles feel. That's what happens when your feet hit the ground from a 10-foot <laughs> fall. Tumbling down a damn 9-foot <laughs> decline. Kablam. They were like compressed and then yanked apart. After three days of observation... The swiftly recovering outdoorsman was released from the hospital and into the care of his wife and family. Within days of her husband's hospitalization, Marjorie discovered the crushed 7mm bullet hidden in his canteen patch. Higdon was still at a loss to explain the force which had managed to so thoroughly damage his bullet, so he took the case into the sheriff's office, and according to him, I'd never seen it. (laughs) I'd never seen anything like it before to compare it to. Soon as I could, I took it to the Carbon County Sheriff's Department, where the officer in charge of ballistics analysis examined it through a microscope. He told me that it was from a 7mm Magnum rifle, which is the caliber of my gun. Returning the chunk of metal, he noted that he'd never seen a bullet in that shape or condition. The sheriff inspected the warped bullet and claimed that he had never seen its equal. He was convinced that it was impossible to hammer the bullet into its existing shape and felt that the bullet had probably not hit a solid object like a tree or a rock. The copper jacket had been turned inside out and the leg slug was missing. He later wrote, quote, it looks as if it had been turned inside out by a superhuman being. The APRO, or Aerial Phenomenon Research Organization, sent metallurgy consultant Dr. Walter Walker to inspect the jacket. Walter Walker. Walter Walker. <laughs> After a rigorous examination of the object, he testified that it had collided with an exceptionally solid surface with immense force. The assertion is not to be underestimated as a 7mm bullet travels at such a fantastic rate of speed, it would have been nigh impossible to track the casing down had it not hit something incredibly hard, much harder than a rock or tree. In the APRO Bulletin, Volume 23, Number 5, which was published in March 1975, investigators were planning to organize a search party in order to find the lead slug of the 7mm in hopes that it might produce additional evidence of what had impacted it against. You know how small that is? In a giant... That's, in a that's, big-ass forest. That's another like another interpretation of needle and haystack. Ugh, it's, for it's God's a, sakes. It's a slug in a forest. Quoted from the report, 
After the snow melts, an attempt was made to locate the lead slug from the bullet, and hopefully it will be able to add something to this very puzzling story. Unfortunately, the search party failed to come to fruition, or if it did, their efforts were met with not, leaving the mangled bullet casing as the only physical evidence in support of Higdon's account. Despite the lack of corroborating proof, on October 29, 1974, the Rollins Daily Times published an account of Higdon's extraordinary experience, and from there, the story spread like wildfire. I seen it. I seen it. The evidence in this case is circumstantial at best. There are no corroborating eyewitnesses who never saw anything more significant than a few random lights in the sky, and even the celebrated bullet only shows that it hits something hard. Nevertheless, there are more than a few elements above and beyond Higdon's fascinating sketches regarding this case to have a way of nagging at even the most skeptical of minds. The first thing that comes to mind is how did the permanent scars on the inside of Higdon's lungs simply vanish without a trace? Investigators claim to have seen before and after x-rays that confirm this seemingly miraculous healing process, which left doctors baffled. If this curative process was not instigated by the alien visitor, then what might have been responsible for the cure? The second, though harder to verify, factor that lends the credibility of the hunter's account is the state in which the company truck was discovered by its rescuers. If reports are to be believed, then there is simply no way Higdon could have moved the vehicle to the place where it was discovered without the aid of a military helicopter. As to why this otherwise polite host would leave him in such a muddy lurch is a matter of debate. Of course, there's always a possibility that Higdon made up the whole tale after he got the company truck stuck while playing hooky from work. <laughs> <laughs> Some damn aliens did. I didn't do That's it. Right. Aliens. I had to come up with this story. That's a hell of a story to come up with. It is. Just to get out of being fired. It's an elaborate lie. Yeah. Perhaps he assumed that he'd be better off making up a patently outlandish story about an alien abduction rather than fess up to having made a mistake while traipsing into the forest where he should have been working when he should have been working. Maybe, but I doubt it. To begin with, his employee called in sick before he decided to pack it in and go hunting. Also, he was the boss and almost certainly could have concocted a more reasonable falsehood if he had to. Lastly, who in their right mind would subject themselves to this kind of public scrutiny and ridicule that invariably follows a report of this nature? <laughs> yeah, that's kind of stupid. True that. Add to this the undeniable fact that Higdon was well-liked and respected by his neighbors, bosses, and co-workers, not to mention the effort that would have been involved in creating the performance that he would have had to put over on his wife and rescue team in the forest, not to mention the nurses, doctors, police, and press in the hospital. And it becomes clear that this working-class Wyoming man was either one of the greatest actors of the 20th century or very likely the victim of a very bizarre episode. So how is it that a case involving a solitary hunter and his tale of a run-in with the intergalactic angler which has transformed over the decades into one of the most significant extraterrestrial encounters of the 20th century? Especially considering how most folks would dismiss it as a story that was barely noteworthy enough to make the page three in the weekly world news. That's a difficult question to answer. Perhaps it was a hardworking, straight-shooting Higdon that lent some integrity to the proceedings. The oil man has maintained the veracity of the story throughout his life and is the first to admit that this trip is a difficult pill to swallow, even for him. Quote, I'd like to think it was just a nightmare, except I know it was real. I've tried to shake my mind clear of all thoughts pertaining to what took place, but frankly, that's totally out of the question at this point, end quote. Just months after his abduction, Higdon went on to say this about the incident at Medicine Bow Forest. Quote, Though I remain apprehensive over the events of last October, I firmly believe the American public is brave enough to accept the truth about such matters. 
Of course, I wish the whole episode hadn't occurred, but since it did, I don't see any reason to keep it secret. Some folks may think I've gone off my rocker, but anyone who knows me can tell you I'm not making up any of this. People seem to accept it now. I'm being truthful as I can be. This all really happened, end quote. Regardless of whether this was a genuine celestial encounter, an elaborate ruse, or a frightful dream of a man who had taken a nasty spill and was suffering from a concussion, one overwhelming fact remains. If Carl Higdon had to do it all over again, he would not have stopped and helped those strangers fix their van. Instead, he would have continued onto McCarthy Canyon, where he would have never ever met a friendly, jawless, drill-handed alien named Oso One. <laughs> <laughs> Man, what a story. That, man, uh, yeah. But that's it's cool. That's, that's a, a real story. That's yeah. a hell of a tale, man. Yes, it is. I mean, you know, this is what, this was uh, uh, 70, 75, 76. Yeah. Um, it, was, it was in Wyoming. And from what I understand, Wyoming, people in Wyoming are um, voracious hunters. They don't spend a lot of time indoors. They don't mm. watch a lot of TV. No, they don't. So he would have been one of the few had to have been one of the few people who watch tv in order to come up with an idea like this on his own yeah you know there's there's no way this this man was into sci-fi at all so to come up with this elaborate story with all of this information with the 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 you know the see-through ship and the alien world and 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 the the drill-handed alien and there's a lot there's a lot of things there that kind of support his stuff like his his truck in the middle of that glade in the middle of an inaccessible forest no tire tracks right two-wheel drive at that yeah there's no way he could have gotten back there no no so i they, mean how the hell did this happen they just like i said a lot of times when you listen to these stories i, I talk about it all the time you yeah. have to take it on faith i mean you either believe or you don't right you know period right. based on the evidence that you hear yeah do, do you, you know you might be one of those types that has to see everything to believe it but yeah. sometimes i can i can take a few things on faith you know i don't always have to see it to believe it i guess you could say well and and the fact that he stuck so closely to the story for the rest of his life yeah uh didn't really change any of the details you know it's like and your boy travis yeah and then your boy bob down there yeah and <laughs> <laughs> yeah bob but like he he didn't seek any publicity after that and he nope. just kind of just stuck with the story i mean but like i mean after that like how does someone you know, he, he worked in the oil service, but he was also a hunter. He lived in Wyoming. How do you reconcile something that outrageous with the rest of your life being so mundane? It, no telling. It is in, insane. Well, that's that's what we're here for, man. And that is the end of our story for the last episode of the season, man. Yep. We'd like to thank Great everybody story. for listening, for coming along on this trip. We're looking forward to you guys to... Uh, seeing what we have for you guys next season. Yeah, we got to get the car in the garage, get it tuned up, get the oil changed, and get ready for the next trip. <laughs> we put about six hundred thousand miles on our car, but about, uh, yeah, but yeah. So uh, thanks again for for coming along this trip. We 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 we're so excited to show you what we have next season. We're glad you guys joined us. Uh, I've had a lot of fun doing this. I have had a blast as well, brother. I've learned I, a lot about doing this as well. And, and sincerely from our hearts, thank you. We've got a ton of listens, and it's growing at all. You know, it's growing constantly. Our following is growing. Please keep coming. Keep the reviews coming. You know, do whatever you can to help us. We'll keep trying to pump out the good stuff. We appreciate it. We love you guys. And, and I mean, we just we don't just say that. 
you know, we're just two we're just two goofballs here in Texas doing this for fun, and we are having a blast. We are. So keep an eye out on our Patreon if you want to get more, uh, see more content or hear more content. We're going to put some stuff on there. Yeah, keep an eye on our social media as well, Facebook, uh, Instagram, and Twitter. I will be posting material between seasons, you know, and stuff like that, things we're doing, maybe things we're planning. Or just general updates, general stories. Uh, we also have probably more stoplight stories. We'll probably have more passport stories before we get into our next season. So just keep an eye out, and we'll try to keep it coming. Uh, absolutely. All right, guys. Well, until then, we will see you all next season. Have a, have a good break. Have a good time, and we'll catch you all later. Man, I need a nap. <laughs> I'm going to stretch my legs and take a nap. Well, just don't get abducted by aliens now. Yeah.